Welcome to the Cosmic Circle, your friendly neighborhood podcast. We are on the road to quantum mania. I'm your host, Isla Ruby, and I'm here with Brian Kitson and Anthony Flagg. How are you guys tonight? Hey, everyone. It's Brian Kitson. I'm excited to be here and ready to talk about the journey to quantum mania. Hey, y'all. It's Anthony Flagg, and I've got some thoughts about Ant-Man, and I'm really excited to talk about him. So I'm so excited you guys are both here. We're here to talk about Ant-Man and everything leading up to the new Ant-Man movie that comes out on February 17th. And first of all, I'm just going to get this out of the way. Ant-Man is clearly the best Avenger, right? The best Avenger? Oh, I don't think Thor would agree with that. (laughs) But um, he's definitely the most dynamic of the Avengers, I think is a safe way to put that. In the sense that he can be both the biggest and the smallest adventure, because that's what I <laughs> that's, was thinking. He's got that's rain. exactly the way I was going. <laughs> he's got variety. Um, right. He could be Giant Man or Ant Man. And we've never actually called him Giant Man before, but uh I feel like we're having a missed opportunity here. But yeah, no, he's very sure, why not? Best Avenger. <laughs> Confirmed by the cosmic circle. <laughs> He's you probably my favorite first. personal Avenger, though. I've always liked Paul Rudd. I've seen him act for so long. And and it was just such an interesting thing. I'm like, Paul Rudd? Ant-Man? Sure. Why not? The movies <laughs> came out around my birthday, so I remember going to those with my friends. And they're just great memories. So it's a little weird that we're going to be watching this one in February. So <laughs> it's a little different. I'm just mm-hmm. used to those July you know, yeah. birthday releases for me. They're so great. So mm-hmm. I'm just, let's switch it up. It's you know, different. you... You talked about those July movies, but not only that, but Ant-Man has really been one of those refresher movies, um, which we can talk about as we go along. But like they really are like palate cleansers. And I, I don't think this one's going to be the same, but I, I I can't wait to see it. It looks so different than the other ones. And I don't remember what the other ones, the trailers were like, but this one just like looks super dark in the latest trailers. And I think actually, I think the first trailer that was released for Ant-Man um was light and jokey but the most recent Mm -hmm. one did that come out today like a couple days ago where you know you actually have Kang named and you know lots of screaming and and anger and dramatic scenes was that I mean it just seems so different than the previous ones first one was definitely a lot more comedic light and tone what we're used to in Ant-Man and and like Brian said they are palate cleansers and it's nice because in between some of the bigger moments you know Ant-Man 1 came out what right before civil war and then ant-man 2 came out right before Endgame, which are arguably some of the most pivotal moments of mcu up until the point of the infinity saga so like now we have him kicking off a whole phase that's going to end with king that's kind of crazy like we we're, we're starting with ant-man they wrapped up this last one with black panther and that was heavy emotional strong and now we're starting off with this and, and exploring the quantum realm we've been to it briefly but this time we're actually going to stay there this time i'm excited yeah what's interesting about what you said is that ant-man came before civil war and endgame but it actually came in between two sets of major films Mm -hmm. because we had avengers age of ultron before ant-man followed by ant-man and then civil war on the other side and then we had avengers infinity war before ant-man the wasp and then we had captain marvel which is a an event in film and then avengers endgame so like it is like the the cream to uh, a Marvel Oreo here. And really, I think that you needed that for some of the way that these stories were told, you know. It really, the other movies just get so like dark. I think Ant-Man really brings the lightness and, you know, all of the mm-hmm. 
the sagas. And it's actually, I'm so glad you mentioned that, you know, this was kicking off a new phase um, because there's lots to talk about with that. Um, So, but right now we're going to talk about, you know, Ant-Man in the past. So let's talk about your memories with the original Ant-Man movie. Um, Anthony, you said, you know, you have birthday memories associated with it. Do you want to talk about anything you really loved in that, that first Ant-Man movie? Luis. But like, who doesn't love Luis? You know, it was just funny because like you're starting off the movie. This dude's in jail. Like we're, we're mm-hmm. like, OK, he's in jail. He's getting out. And, and what's he doing? He's a cat burglar. And then he turned out, OK, he's actually like he fights the fight for the little guy. He has that scene there at the Baskin Robbins where the manager's like, no, I know what you did. You really stuck into those big guys. And it, like mm-hmm. things like that were just so interesting because I love heists. If, mm-hmm. if you're a friend of mine, you know me. I love my Ocean's Eleven. I love all types of heists. So when I found out that like, hey, we're going to be doing some thieving and some sneaking around and everything. Oh, man, I was on board. But during that time, I wasn't like that enveloped into Marvel. So I wasn't paying attention. It was just like, hey, there's a movie. It's coming around around my birthday. And I love going to the movies. So that's what I'm going to go see. I'm going to go see Ant-Man. The memories attached to that are just fantastic. Uh, I can't. It came out, what, 2016? 2015. Mm-hmm. 2015. Okay, so I was I was still living in, in Houston before I moved away and then moved back. So I was watching it with, with a good group of friends that enjoy the movies. So I love Ant-Man. And, and Paul Rudd is just fantastic. You know, so for Ant-Man, for me, my beginning for uh, Marvel really began with Captain America Civil War. I'm pretty sure that's the first one I saw in theaters. Maybe I saw Thor, The Dark World. Um but up to that point, I just like bought them and watched them at home, like very passively. And so for me, Ant-Man was so different in theaters because it was so removed, even though it had some of the connective tissue, because like like you said, Anthony, it was a heist movie. And up to this movie, you know, up to this film, we had had action films and we had had, you know, espionage and we had fantasy and space travel and this one was a very small film in that no pun intended about him being Ant-Man, but like, <laughs> like the stake, the stakes weren't high in that it didn't the story didn't really impact anybody's life but his and the other characters. Like it didn't you didn't have the whole world about to end. And you didn't have the uh what do they call it in the dark world, the convergence, like all of these big events. New York wasn't on fire. This was about a dad trying to find stability for his daughter and trying to be a hero when everyone thought he was this villain because of some actions that he had done and everybody judged him. And so like it, for that, it felt like a very personal movie. And I liked that. It was kind of like the first time that I really felt that Marvel had tried something different and it succeeded. Yeah. And in a lot of ways it was kind of his redemption because, you know, everyone essentially thought that he was just kind of this loser and he had nothing going on. Um, in his family, they thought that, except for Cassie. Um, you know, his ex-wife thought that, Paxton thought that, and, you know, by the end of the movie, he's just, you know, he's this guy that they all respect, and Cassie still believes in him, and I think that's Cassie's belief in him, and Cassie's um, just relationship with him is something that, you know, is very important again in Ant-Man and the Wasp, and it seems like it's going to be very important in this new movie coming up, Um, And like you both said, it was a heist movie. I think, you know, it's Marvel has something in every genre now, it seems like. Um, I don't think we have a rom-com yet, maybe coming up. Um, Don't get them started. It'll be coming. (laughs) Shang-Chi, you could could argue, is partially rom-com. I mean, the at least beginning part. (laughs) 
so this this is marvel's oceans 11 and oh. it's just you know it's it's fun and i really enjoyed it and i so i didn't see it in theaters i wish i had um i i saw captain america in theaters the first one and then i stopped watching marvel movies i think until homecoming was out on netflix and i'm then, curious sorry go ahead no 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 you were talking but i'm just curious what was y'all's first mcu movie you saw in theaters i know this is not on topic but i just have <laughs> to know this now uh captain america winter soldier i'm pretty sure is my first one um i'm trying to think you know i was in high school until 2010 and then I think I got busy with college. So I think it was the Winter Soldier. I remember that one specifically um, because it, if I remember correctly, it came out not far from um, Sp- The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And I saw them pretty much like back to back. Yeah, it was the first Captain America for me as well. Um, really? Yeah. And I didn't like it at the time. I just thought that this was ridiculous. And I, I never wanted to see another Marvel movie again until Spider-Man came out. So, yeah. And now my... you write for a website <laughs> yeah, that focuses on Marvel? <laughs> I, I was wrong. I, I, I missed a lot of good stuff, sadly. Oh. My love affair <laughs> with Marvel has been been long going, just, just for the listeners. I remember staying up till midnight to watch Iron Man 2 in theaters, and I had an exam the next morning. Hmm. Man, I, I, I don't know if y'all remember these, but they used to make, uh, Mount, Mountain Dew used to make energy drinks called Amp. I drank like mm-hmm. two yep. or three of those the next morning. And I mean, I aced that test, but like I still ha- hold on more to the memories of watching Iron Man in theaters with the ACDC and everything. But yeah, but speaking of, well, I wouldn't say speaking of Iron Man, but speaking of other characters in Marvel, it's funny you were mentioning earlier how small stakes um, Ant-Man is because it's interesting to me that in the first Ant-Man movie, where do we go? We go to the Stark compound to go mm-hmm. steal stuff. And then who shows up? Falcon. Like, I honestly did not expect that to happen. Like, yeah, of course, in a Marvel movie, someone is kind of bound to show up. I want to say, like, unless I'm wrong, Black Widow would be like the only one where I don't think anybody else truly showed up. But that was more of a flashback. Well, who you got? Uh, I was going to say a lot of the Marvel, I had the multiverse saga ones, I feel like didn't have, like, I guess you should it depends on how you look at it like eternals didn't and <laughs> thor love and thunder you could argue didn't but i digress yeah you're right for the most for the, for the most part you're right there anthony true true but i understand where you're coming from at least those were like connected mm-hmm. in a different way but in the sake of ant-man yeah. you're thinking this guy's just kind of like doing this little own little thing in san francisco at this point like the only California time we'd spent is with Tony Stark in mm-hmm. Malibu. Mm-hmm. And then he moved over to New York and he was far removed from all that anyway. So like, who are you realistically going to run into? So when he, they're like, all right, we got to go steal this thing from this little warehouse. And then you fly over and you see the Stark compound. You're just like, crap, this is going to end up poor. Like this is going to be bad. And then he lands and shows <laughs> up and who's there? Falcon ready to protect. And who's on the comms? Captain America. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to say, because I totally forgot Iron Man was a Marvel movie and my brain is fried. So Iron Man was what I first saw in theaters. And I really liked that until <laughs> Captain America. Then I decided I was done with it. So sorry about that. <laughs> um, Before we jump back to Ant-Man, I got to know, do you feel different about Captain America, the first Avenger now that you are indoctrined into what the MCU is? I, it's not my favorite. Um, I like you know, I like the 
scenes in the 40s. I like all the Peggy Carter stuff. The Hydra stuff is just not, I just, I don't like it very much. It's weird. Um, we don't watch that movie for Captain America. We watch it for Peggy Carter. That's all we are watching it for. Much. All the Peggy Carter love. That's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's all I'm here for. But back to Ant-Man. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I think we need a Peggy Carter podcast just because there's so much to talk about. Just Stay tuned to next episode. Exactly. So, Ant-Man. Um <laughs> So, you know, after the first Ant-Man movie, we see him in Civil War and, you know, he's he's giant man. He's he's recruited by the Falcon. He, you know, is is against Tony Stark and the other Avengers. What do you guys think of that? Um, you know, does that kind of fit his character? Absolutely. Do you like giant man? Oh, I just think that it fits his character. I mean, think about what he did in the first Ant-Man. He stuck it to those, you know, mm -hmm. rich guys and everything. And he's thinking, oh, look, here's a billionaire who's got toys to play with and everything, trying to tell other people how and what to do. And then I always think back to the little scene where later on he, he, he builds that report with Captain America and calls him Cap. And then later on in Endgame, mm -hmm. um, you know, she or uh, Wasp calls him Cap and she smiles because early on, it's like, I, I want to say in in... The second one that he says, that's what his friends call him. You know, they call him Cap and everything. But I don't know. So, you know, with Ant-Man and Captain America Civil War, they came out like almost a year, but not quite because Captain America came out in April or May. Um, we had like a really long period between Ant-Man and Captain America to like, if you were me, you probably watched Ant-Man quite frequently. <laughs> um, and so... I loved having him in there. And I think that he felt really, he fit in really well with the team that he was on, you know, Captain, Captain America's team all the way. Um, but it was hundred percent who he was because he was always about doing the right thing. And like, you know, he has this theme of justice and trying to be a good person, even when sometimes that puts him in a difficult spot. And so, you know, he took on this, this mission knowing that it could potentially mess up his relationship with his daughter and like mess up at the relationship that with his ex-wife and if you know how she would view this and the relationship with wasp like which we see kind of play out in amy and the wasps and you know that actually gives me one of my favorite lines where you know he asks her if she would go and she's just like we'll never find out like there's just so much that he put up for stake for that and that's exactly who scott is he's always the person that's going to do the right thing and who's going to say no to Captain America? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. I think it's, I think both sides of, you know, of that in Civil War, both sides are justifiable. And I think that, you know, that, you know, Tony wanted to protect the world with armor, Sokovia Accords, all of that. And then, um, you know, Cap, obviously there were, there was a different point of view, but I think that if, you know, if Iron Man had come to, to Ant-Man, I think, he would have said yes because again he believes in doing the right thing and i think he would have been able to see a, a, like a justification for you know for fighting with them on that case i disagree I strongly Ooh. actually really? very strongly what think about it think about how did the first ant-man movie start it started with hank pym getting into an argument with howard stark if he would have known that scott would have gone and helped a stark he wouldn't have given him anything and I know he stole the suit. He did this. He did that. 
but we would have never gotten quantum medium because he would have just disowned him and he would have been dead to Hank had he done that. So hear me out though. I think that if you look at his motivations as a father, he 100% would have went along with it because what was Stark trying to do? Stark was feeling guilty because people were dying and that was reflective in that first scene where the mom like yep. throws the picture at him. Mm-hmm. And so he could have appealed to Scott's like we could protect your daughter from all of this trouble and all this heartache and from from bad things happening to her if we can just get a suit around the world and like protect people and like be regulated and i think he would have went for it right away because his daughter was everything to him and that would have been the emotional factor that would have triggered his psyche to just decide to side with uh iron man and i think too that and i think in the the wasp movie i think you know the pims were angry at him um you know, even Very, even yeah. for siding with for Cap. So I think you know the Pims would have been angry at him no matter what, and he would have had to um, you know earn their respect again. Either way, I think you know you still could have that Ant Man and the Wasp plot point there. Right, because they only actually take him back because they need him yeah. to help them get something. They don't actually like him, and they don't yeah. not until <laughs> later on in the film. So like you still could have that same point because they were just using him. As a means to an end. Those are good points. You guys, you guys definitely argue those very well. I, I still maintain though that there would be the whole thing. I'm not sure if this may have ever happened, but something tells me maybe off screen that Hank had a conversation with Scott about not trusting a Stark. Oh, there was there was definitely a moment, and I don't remember which movie it was in. I know that that Hank definitely like talked badly about Howard Stark a ton and I just don't remember which movie it was in and you know how awful he was to and he would never team up with him so I think there was actually a conversation where that happened um like explicitly so yeah um one thing I will also say about Civil War I think it was a missed opportunity for for Scott's ant power because I wanted to see more giant ants and you know see them in battle with the Avengers that would have totally been fun and I know Anthony was you know not alive anymore but you know, peace I... to the homie <laughs> we share I, name. I, I do think though that probably part of that was probably that it was already such a CGI heavy film yeah. So, yeah. but I do agree that they didn't quite play up to the Ant-Man part and it was more of a giant man but nobody called him that <laughs> uh what what does roadie say uh little man got big like that's the closest we got to it so we should have seen more ants i want there should be tons of ants in this quantum mania film or we we should riot (laughs) i like the fact that you mentioned the ants because i'm thinking now imagine if he would have you know increased the size of an ant how peter parker would have freaked out so Mm -hmm. you would have spider versus ant would have been one of the funniest little insect jokes you could ever come up with yep missed opportunity yep they, they can try again <laughs> later on in Secret Wars or Kang Dynasty or something. Absolutely. So after Civil well, is actually, is there anything else you guys want to talk about with Civil War? I mean, that airport scene was kind of the the biggest thing for. I mean, he set himself up for failure in in going and doing that because you know, as we lead into into Ant Man and the Wasp, we know he's on house arrest because of what he did in Berlin. <laughs> so this is a good segue so the next ant-man movie um ant-man versus the wasp what are your you know 
Versus? I thought it was and. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, technically, yeah. for a good... <laughs> Honestly, that movie kind of was Ant-Man versus the Wasp because she really shows them up every single time she gets the opportunity. And I loved it. It was great because we, we knew like when Ant-Man ended, we're like, why didn't she get a suit? And then we get the post credit scene with the suit and you're like, oh yeah, it's happening mm-hmm. now. Like we're going into it. And then when it did happen, man, she really, she really, she put the hurt on Sonny Birch. That was oh, yeah. great. <laughs> with one of our favorite actors, yep. Walton Goggins. Who's going to no, be in the new she, Fallout? She definitely, she showed in the very, in very little of Amy and the Wasp how she was a superior fighter to Scott in every way because she made it look easy, and and she the, the whole scene in the diner is just one of the top scenes for me of the MCU as a whole. I love that scene. I was going to say in the first name, man, she really just kind of mm-hmm. made a point when she said, you know how to punch? And then she just knocks him out. Bam. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right then I'm like, oh, man, why isn't she mm-hmm. suiting up? Like, what's up with that? I do like how in the first Ant-Man movie, we kind of got an epic training, kind of like a montage where he's oh, yeah. learning how to be small. I really enjoyed that. It was fun that she was his trainer. That was excellent. I do appreciate that. So... Yeah. You know, Ant-Man and the Wasp, not versus the Wasp, um, you know, was, was had a lot of comedic moments. And mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to the ants because I don't know, they were awesome. And Jimmy Woo, because, you know, so Scott's on parole and he gets busted out to do, you know, to do this thing for Hank and, Jan- or Hank, and um, Hank and the Wasp and the ants take his place. And I just love those moments where like the ants in the tub and the ants playing the drums. I just the think drums. they're yeah. perfect. I, I do think that one of the things that Ant-Man and the Wasp did that was so genius was that now that we're like indoctrinated to the ant family's life, they really played on that. And I appreciate that more because we got to see silly things like the ant playing the drums and <laughs> giant man against the building pretending to hide and like you know there's like i don't know it felt it felt good it felt like a natural progression for all of these characters and you got to see more of that world um but i still feel like it's not enough i want more of it another thing i really liked about the movie is that it showed just how ahead of the curve hank is i mean Mm -hmm. we know he's a genius in the comics he's the person that comes up with ultron but really it's like how he shrunk his lab and made it portable, like literally a carry-on. I love that little bit. Mm-hmm. And not just that, but how he kept the little, um, what was it, a film roll? Where the Hot Wheels the case. Cars. Hot Wheels case, thank mm-hmm. you. And where he kept all the cars, like just little things like that are just so just so genius that it mm-hmm. makes sense with this character. You know, something you said there about, we didn't talk about for the first film, but Michael Douglas as Hank Pym was probably the most unexpected casting for me but it's probably one of the best because you know when you think Mm -hmm. of michael douglas you think of like mobster films or like action films and this showcase that like not only is he getting older but like he still has these like comedic chops to him and like he could play an angry individual who is also this like great scientist and i just think that it's like almost I don't see a lot of people talking about it. I feel like it should be talked about more because we got such a legendary actor into the MCU for what could have been a small part. And he's fantastic in it. He owns that part, I think. And I, you know, I I tried to go through in my head of other actors that could have been, 
um, Hank Pym. And the only one who I could think maybe would come close but wouldn't have those comedic chops that you mentioned would be Martin Sheen. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't think it would have been as, as iconic as, no. you know, as, as, as this one. No, but Martin Sheen would have been, he would have been a more serious take, but then I would have appreciated that. But no, there's not really anybody that could take Michael Douglas's place as Hank Pym. And I do hope that he continues past Quantumania. I guess that remains to be seen what happens, but I love him in that role. Yeah, so I guess we could kind of make a mention of how we spent a little bit more time in the quantum realm. Like in that first movie, it was mm-hmm. very brief. He, he he only did it because he was trying to save um, his daughter's life. Yep. And then in the second one, he actually... They delve into it. They actually sent yeah. Hank in there instead with a little bit of a vehicle to kind of navigate his way around and, and, and mm-hmm. look for Janet. Um, I thought it was interesting how there was a connection through the quantum. I don't I don't know a word for it. Um, entanglement. And sure, oh. entanglement's great. <laughs> that works. But it's kind of like interesting how she was able to use that to put her impression using Scott as a vessel and then taking over his body, you know, being able to speak, being able to, to work alongside Hank to help them get there, to find her and all that. The acting that Paul Rudd did in the scene where, you know, he mm-hmm. is Janet is just incredible and it shows his range and, you know, how, how great of an actor he is. And I, I don't think he gets credit for that. Um, often enough so that was just fantastic yeah oh absolutely that scene is also a standout just because he pollard's fantastic in whatever he acts mm-hmm. in but that scene in, in particular is really something else um but you know yes we did get to dive into the quantum realm quite a bit more which was really cool because it felt like it that it was expanding a different part of the world the universe that we'd never seen before um because we've seen space you know we've seen the the regular Marvel Cinematic Universe, but this one dives down into what is miniature. Um, and they actually came up, you know, with Quantum Realm. They had to come up with that name because it's not called that in the comics, but they can't have it for copyright issues. Um, what is it? It's, micro- is it called Microverse or? Yeah. Called the Microverse. And that actually resides with the Micronauts, I believe. So, yep. um, so it's really cool that you, you know, you got to dive into this world and it all was kind of reminiscent of some of the worlds that we saw in Doctor Strange when he's going through his mind trip. And so it kind of showed that like, okay, maybe this is connected through some other form of exploration. Maybe it's all connected through different universes. Um, and so I think that it was really cool to dive down into that. But this film also gave us something really cool, too, because if we're talking about villains, which we didn't talk about Darren Chris, mm-hmm. Darren Chris was just kind of like a megalomaniac. He was kind of crazy. <laughs> um, he wanted the power. He was getting he was he's feeding off the power. But Ghost is. Fantastic, because <laughs> this is some this was someone who was just trying to, like, find a way to survive because they were in pain yeah. all the time. Yeah, I think that is something that a lot of individuals can relate to of just like we're not thriving, but we're just trying to survive because life has been really hard for us. Um, and her powers are really cool too, and at least in some really cool fight scenes. Um, and so I think that in that way it was an improvement over Ant Man. Yeah, you really feel for her as a villain if if you can feel for for a villain, I guess. Um, she, you know, she lost her parents when she was very young, and she was taken by Shield. And you know, again, Shield 
not always the good guys and they they trained her to be this this killing machine um all while she was suffering and hurting and you know they didn't necessarily help her um and I, I want to talk about Bill Foster too because I think he's an interesting character but you know Anthony I'm curious what you think about Ghost actually I, I was going to go back to to Darren Cross um because it just kind of clicked to me while, while you were describing him, Brian. But you know who he reminds me of? Just a little bit, not a whole lot. But he mm-hmm. reminds me of the Green Goblin in the original Spider-Man series. If yes. you think about it, he has chemicals that make him balance. He's got a suit that he's got that he's still working to get this formula right. And then he's just trying to keep his board in line. And he takes out people that are along the way stopping him from reaching his goal. Which is exactly what Green Goblin did in the first movie. But... um. As far as, yeah, I know that's going back, but it was just like a thought that came to me. I'm like, man, almost parallel to to Mm -hmm. Norman Osborn's arc in that first movie. And, and, and his arrogance kind of worked against him and made him lose to the, to the superhero. But as far as Ghost, I'll be honest, she was one that left me probably one of the lesser impressions out of all the, the uh, villains in the MCU but at the same time, it was nice that it was a little bit of a switch up because it wasn't mm-hmm. just someone that was like a parallel to the main hero, like, you know, Yellow Jacket was. He's another guy with a suit that can make himself small and do this, but he's got different, he's got a little bit modification. This one's actually quite tragic. Like you've already sure. said, she lost her parents. But then because of her, because she was trying to sacrifice herself to save her dad, she got hit with these waves. It changed her entire structure of her life and ruined her life. Mm-hmm. And, and and of no consequence of her own, she was trying to do the right thing. And then, as you said, now she's involved with Bill Foster. And he tried his best to keep her life moving forward throughout it all. And even though he made the effort, she still has that vindictive, like, no, I'm going to get mine. And, and it impressed me with Bill Foster, even with his absolute and obvious, because he said it out loud, hatred for Hank Pym, when he noticed that, Ghost was starting to go off the rails. He said, I'm not going to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. That impressed me. And not just that, but, you know, again, Lawrence for that one was just awesome. Great actor. Great kid. And and, and the little banter between him and, and uh, Scott when they're like, you know, what's the biggest you got? And they gave him a moment for Wasp to say, okay, let's stop comparing sizes here, <laughs> which was a nice little comedic moment. Um, I only wish that there would have been another flashback like there was in the first movie, which I know there was a flashback with Ghost, but with him showing what he did when he increased the size and everything. That, that's the only thing I felt was minor missed, but with what was going on with the movie, it would have kind of wasted time. So I understand. That. Maybe we still will see him, right? Bill Foster is not, you know, he's he's helping Ghost. He's helping Hank Pym. Yep. Um, he still has his professor job. I liked that he didn't turn in Hank, I thought that was kind of an interesting, um, an interesting thing there. And I also, you know, I agree with you that Lawrence Fishburne is amazing. And from what I understand, like he's a massive comic book fan. He's just like, yes, super, he yeah, he's supremely he's into it. He's a big Marvel guy. Yeah, yes. and he he actually is part of the reason that Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is getting a series at all. Um, so he was like, he's in that, and he's also like a super strong um, proponent of that that book or that that comic book series and then the the animated series so he's all in wow 
You know, I do have to say with Lawrence Fishburne, as I do feel like he was wasted a little bit in this film just because he has such a small part. And I'm like, come on, this is like such a like a prolific actor. I did knowing who Bill Foster was, I wanted to see him as Goliath. And I was hoping that like there was gonna be like an end credit sting of him suiting up or something, or like some flashback. And and I felt like that was the one of the only missteps um of Amy and the Wasp. And you know, this is not exactly Uday level, but I saw that movie six times in theaters because I loved it so much. And that's the one thing I always walk away with is I wanted more of Bill Foster. Because he just seemed very one-dimensional. And Lawrence Fishburne, I mean, gave us The Matrix, one of the greatest trilogies <laughs> of our generation. He also gave us one of my favorite memes. The one from The Man of Steel. In other news, water is wet. <laughs> for for uh... those following, it's the Perry White in Man of Steel when they were talking about Gotham having crime. But um, one thing we haven't mentioned, and I just want to kind of talk about it a little bit, we did earlier, but like to talk about it more, is Walton Goggins' Sonny mm-hmm. Burke. Because he's a black market dealer who works for the benefactor that we still have not gotten a name or any sort of like connection to. Um, I believe our own Alex Perez has mentioned somewhere along the way that the benefactor might come, come into play this time around. I really want to see that follow through. But what interests me is, there's this technology floating around in markets. In Hawkeye, we saw some of this stuff on sale mm-hmm. in an auction. Mm-hmm. Like, where are these coming from? Th- this could play into a larger thing into where like, we've got all this stuff that is very dangerous because it is so reality altering. And you're telling me that if you know a guy, you can just buy it? <laughs> there are a lot of shady defense contractors and... Um you know, rich people that seem to want to, you know, just have fun with their money, it seems like in the the Marvel universe. And I think the point about Hawkeye and that, um, that Avengers Tower auction is such a great one to make, because like, that's stuff that can really mess that society up. You know, what, what was it? There was a thing from the Savage Lands, and there was there a ring or something. There was a, a Ronin suit. So yeah. And the watch. Yeah, the watch, the watch, of course, the watch. I think, um, I totally hope we find out about the benefactor soon. And I think there have been a couple of glimpses of who it maybe could be um, in some of these TV you know, you, series. You talk, you talk about these black market deals, but I was at GameStop earlier today and they had Kamala Khan's bangles on sale for $149. So it's like, <laughs> I could just go to GameStop and get them. While you're there, give me the 10 rings from Shang-Chi. I really want those. I just want the Moonlight thing. <laughs> what the crescent um, darts yeah they're so awesome but mm-hmm. truly the i think that uh, walton goggins is coming back because mm-hmm. you don't introduce something like the benefactor and this character specifically working for the benefactor and don't have something come from this and i think i don't you know this is not me confirming anything people i have no sources but i think we're going to see it probably in daredevil i think this this is where a lot of it's going to come to play because organized crime has been uh, a very street level thing and anthony as you remember we wrote a whole article about what's coming up with the street level things and daredevil is one of the biggest names and i can't see it not play somewhere into this anthony's thinking he's 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 got this look on his <laughs> well, face well well like i've been working on this this pretty big theory article on daredevil and you're like making me think should i include this or not so that but that's a thought for another evening but <laughs> 
for after the podcast after the podcast yeah <laughs> stay tuned no um yeah my mind is kind of blown with that as well and thinking about that and you know the benefactor and daredevil because i don't know i i would think it'd be in something more mutant oriented just and again this is not oh. me confirming anything either this is just me you know thinking about well you have this giant nation full of like gnarly things and where law doesn't mm -hmm seem to well, matter so look at cap or falcon and the winter soldier we have Majapur where all these mm -hmm. people are running around with all mm -hmm. these things going so i'm surprised we didn't get a link there now that i think about it i'm actually quite quite surprised it's all but coming it, yeah <laughs> of course it will happen eventually everything yeah. will fall in line just like the scorpion cameo in, in far from right. home right or uh, homecoming yeah. And I think Day five, baby. Those who know me know that it's a running thing that I always complain about. I think but, it's uh, fair though, because you know, there, you know, one thing with Marvel, there are all these moving pieces and all these little things that, you know, eventually come together to form, you know, the next movie, the next property. And with Ant-Man, I just wonder how they're going to do it, given that there seems there is, I mean, obviously such a quantum focus. Like, how do you have like we our, our scenes for this movie that we've seen in the trailer, you know, are in the quantum quantum realm besides a couple where like Cassie's getting arrested, where Ant-Man's a celebrity. Most of the stuff we see happens in the quantum realm. How do we, like, it's a new territory, kind of. I think that part of it, though, is that we're not going to get as much of the real world. Because yeah. if, I, if I remember correctly, like, uh, Luis is not in this film. No. He's been cut. That's awful. And so That's the worst. The real world's going to kind of get set aside for this quantum exploration. So I don't think we're going to get any of this. I don't think there's going to be any kind of. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't even get any mention of Ghost. Like maybe a passing line, but like the real world's going to get really set aside for what happens um, in the quantum realm, and that's what the focus is going to be. Yeah, and and in regards to that. Um... I was thinking now that we've gone past the first two movies, what's our next thing is that we got an introduction. We got a soft introduction to our villain in Loki at the end there with mm -hmm. he who remains. He starts off with a pretty good semi monologue and he says he's been called lots of things throughout time, a ruler, a conqueror. And right there, you know, the collective group of Marvel fans just go, oh, it's there. It's coming. Which we knew he was already cast as King going into Quantumania, but it was getting Jonathan Majors right from the get-go. Mm -hmm. Amazing choice for King. Um, they put out another little clip today, like mm -hmm. 30 seconds long. Man, I'm terrified and excited to see this man on this screen. Mm -hmm. No, he's fantastic. He was probably one of the best choices Um and I didn't actually know his name before they announced him for as King or for Quantumania. And then the moment I saw him in Loki, I was like, oh man, this guy is <laughs> on a different level. Yep. And he is fantastic in these films. He has a worth ethic like none other. He also puts out like, he has like four or five movies that came out this past year. Like this man does yeah. not stop. Yeah, He's busy. And every film is just like high quality. And so just from the clips that we see here, I think that King is, I'm so ready to see him in every other film that's coming up in phase five and six, because he's not going anywhere, right? Yeah. 
And I, I want to back us up really briefly because, you know, even even before Loki, even before Kang, you know, we still have Endgame with with Ant-Man. And sure. Ant-Man is very important in um in Endgame. And in some ways that leads into, you know, time travel leads into Loki and leads into to Kang and all of that. So, you know, what what do you guys think about um Ant-Man and Endgame and well, we could I like- partially put the blame on him for for Loki getting loose. So if anything, it's Oof. his own fault that he has to face King. You have to. <laughs> it's not even that much of a leap in logic, but he's the one that brought forth the idea of going through time, and then he went back. He messed up on flicking the the suitcase with the tesseract and ended up at Loki's feet. Boom! Full circle. It's his own damn fault. Oh my gosh! <laughs> if we explain it that way, yep. you're. You, I will say that. Um, I liked the emotional journey that he had in Endgame because he came into this. He was kind of like our first entry into the coming back five years later mm-hmm. and everything's changed. And we got that later with some of the the characters who had been, you know, snapped. But he came back to a fully grown daughter and a world mm-hmm. that was in the scenes that we've seen. The world was like, looks like it was like post-apocalyptic in some ways. Yep. And for him, it was only, what, 30 minutes? But five minutes. It was five something minutes. very short, yeah. Yeah, that's what he said. He came, like five minutes went by five years for him. Okay. And the world changed, and he didn't know what to do with that. So I feel like I loved how he transitioned from – he wasn't – he was still funny, but there was, like, a real seriousness to him because his life had changed so drastically and so quickly that he was just trying to catch up. And that you really got to see, like, a more of, like, a hero stature than just, like, the funny hero that he was in the first two films. Yeah. And, and another thing uh, I really liked about his character in Endgame is that they played to his strengths. What's he really good at? Heist. What'd they do? Mm-hmm. A heist. A time heist. A time heist. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So, you know, the next movie, Ant-Man, Quantumania. And I'll say before that I know there's some plot stuff going around. Like none of us have watched that. This is all just us talking based on what we've seen in the trailers and what we... Um, you know what we think based on the previous movies so what what are your expectations for the newest ant-man movie what um what do you really want to see happen you know something that anthony had pointed out very early on in this podcast was this film is kicking off phase five mm-hmm. and like what a way to kick off phase five just from what we've seen in the trailers this movie is about to be humongous it's going to be huge and i I'm so excited to see how this plays out. Cause like from the trailers, it looks like Kang is offering Scott back time, the time that he lost, which we saw from Endgame. You know, this is mm-hmm. this has been building now for a little bit. And he feels like he's missed out on all this time. And probably thinking like after, you know, the time heist and stuff like that, he doesn't have to worry about like messing up his timeline because it's just gonna branch off into another one. And so there's like not a lot of stakes. There's like not a lot of, to, to him, he could just gain all this stuff back. And so I'm really interested to see again where this personal journey goes. But I mean, I'm so excited to see the fight between him and King that we kind of got a glimpse of today in that that trailer when he's yelling King's name and King is blowing that blue lightning energy at him. Mm-hmm. I think we're in for some one of the biggest films we've seen probably since the start of phase four. 
it seems like he, in the end of that particular fight, like he's almost ready to sacrifice himself. And I think that's, you know, interesting and kind of totally in line with his character too, because, you know, again, he's, he's doing the right thing. He's doing it for Cassie. He, you know, he, um, you know, he, he's a hero, even without powers. He just has that, that mindset. Um, and I think that, so I'm, I'm totally losing my train of thought, but, um, I think that, yeah, I totally lost my train of thought. Never mind. It's okay. I've got an idea just because something <laughs> I can go with on that little spot that came out today. There's a moment where Janet says, and I don't know to who I'm assuming Scott is that Kang can shatter, mm-hmm. um, what, what is it? Reality timelines, um, right? Um, I'm watching it right now. Uh, I've got it open on my second screen. He can shatter existence. Ooh. So what that could mean is, is just kind of, well, I can't wait to watch the movie and find out exactly what that can mean. But that puts him in a unique position that he's got more power than we really think about. And I mean, this is a guy that's just just a genius, nothing more. Mm-hmm. Like, you, like you said, he doesn't have superpowers. So to be able to kind of rewrite reality that's a Wanda level sort of thing to be able to do, right. but without any of the powers that infinity stones, no, no power-ups, it's all from, from capability of the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, what interests me is that she's already familiar with him. She wouldn't say this kind of like, Oh, Oh, Hey, you know, like there must've been some exposure for Janet while she was down there to this guy knowing, Hey, I've seen what he can do. You should be terrified. So, mm-hmm. so for her to come to Scott or Hank or whoever to say these things just kind of really drives forth how like tough this guy's going to be, not just for Scott, but for the Avengers, for everyone. Well, sure. it, you know, it almost seems as if he's trapped in there in the yeah. quantum mm-hmm. realm. And, you know, that leads to the question, well, who trapped him? And I wonder if it, it maybe could have been Janet or she could have been involved with, with that somehow because she knew his power. Um, and she knew what he was capable of. And the thing I've completely forgot that I was, you know, talking about earlier was, you know, Kang has all of this power, but he still needs something from Ant-Man. He still needs something from Scott from the trailers. So I'm curious to see what that is. And, you know, again, it has every other Ant-Man movie, you know, someone has needed something from him as well. That kind of kicks mm-hmm. off all that stuff. So I'm curious to see if, like, how that happens here. That's an interesting mention just because you're making me think back to Loki where they talk about the multiversal war. He who remains is the one that ends up on top. I wouldn't be surprised if it was he who remains who stuck him in there or, or this is another prevailing theory is that he escaped to the quantum realm. He got himself stuck in there trying to avoid being part of the multiversal war and then getting taken out. So he's a remnant left behind and you know, dear listeners, this is not confirmation, but just theorizing it wouldn't surprise me if there's more variants floating around that found other universes or just other methods to escape. Just because mm-hmm. we got from the TVA that little bit saying, oh yeah, the multiversal war has ended. We got the timekeepers. Remember, that was purely propaganda. That was that was doctored and made by Kang himself to put in front of the TVA so he could sell that and have his workers remain in line. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, I think that all this talk about Quantumania and and the villain of the story, we're also forgetting another villain, which is the worst kept secret by Marvel, (laughs) which is is MODOK. You know, in the trailer, what was it? The second trailer, whatever, one of the more recent trailers. Okay. 
we saw Darren. <laughs> we saw Darren return as yeah. Modok. You know, last time we saw him was at the end of Ant Man, and he was getting kind of transfigured by um by the remember i sent you that video months ago i was thinking about like dude look if you notice in the very end of the clip his head is the last thing to shrink Mm -hmm. the body goes first but then the head is the last one to shrink you watch it in slow motion and now he's coming back as modok and modok is this character that like isn't usually played by um this character in the mcu but it is definitely an interesting change and um I don't know how I feel about it. I, I might have to wait to see how it's going to be when we, when it shows up on my screen. Because um, the trailer one made me a little bit iffy. It kind of looked like George Lopez from Sharkboy and Lava Girl. Exactly. Um, but what do, you, what do you guys think of MODOK? So I, you know, I, I'm not super excited for this character. Um, you know, I had heard, read about the casting stuff beforehand and who, you know, who was going to, I guess, voice him, um, you know, I guess Bill Murray is going to voice him from, from, you know, Deadline and all of those sources. Um, I just am not thrilled about, I'm thrilled not about the character. I just want Kang, not, not Modoc. I'm curious how, what his part plays into it, because from my understanding is he's like a, a lieutenant in king's army or something like he, he reports to him so it, i'm assuming after the events of the first Ant man movie he got found rescued because we know king's a genius and an engineer so they probably like hey your body's all screwed up i can give you something to kind of keep you from being be completely destabilized mm-hmm. um but honestly modok to me is kind of like the lesser i'm with you i'm with you isla i'm not that it, excited about it like it's cool but eh. i wonder if he so in the trailers it makes like seem it makes they make it seem like um that kang knows about scott that he's ant-man he's an avenger you know he's fought the avengers before he knows about these superheroes do you think modok maybe told him all about scott because modok would obviously have you know a, a grudge with scott and something a bone to pick with him based on their it definitely yeah. seems like that King knows from previous fightings, which was probably the multiversal war. Um, this definitely did not seem close to Modok, but I do think it's interesting because with Modok playing like second fiddle villain in this film, to me, that sounds expendable because we know we're not getting rid of King. We have King Di- dynasty coming up. Mm-hmm. And I think that it could potentially be a waste of a character who like Modok is a huge villain. He could be in, multiple films and maybe there's going to be a second modok a modok 2.0 or something but it just seems really weird to have two major villains in such a pivotal movie and i don't expect the king i don't expect that uh modok is going to make it out of this one i agree with everything brian said so there you go there you have it (laughs) there it is now, I will say about this movie that um, I'm disappointed to hear that Luis isn't in it because he was such a highlight, you know, in the other movies. And that just kind of, you know, goes hand in hand with, with Ant-Man. So I'm very sad to hear that. It's a bummer. It's definitely disappointing. Uh, but I think that there's still room for him in our world. I'm still waiting <laughs> for them to release that video of him recounting everything up to uh, Endgame because <sighs> I think we all need that. Yes. Um, I just think that this film, kind of like Thor Ragnarok, is taking 
this hero story in such a different direction. And unfortunately, the real world doesn't fit into that. But there is a world where Luis is still there. And we're going to get more of him. I, I have a random thing in it to interject, but this is only because I'm here with you, Isla, right now. Okay. Have you seen that little spot I was talking about earlier today? It's like 30 seconds long. No, I haven't. Is this the Modoc or the, the Darren Cross thing? No, 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 no. Um, there's a scene where, where Scott goes big and he yells, Kang! Oh, you know yes, I, I saw that, yeah. Okay. Khan, you're thinking Khan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was exactly. like, my, my dear Star Trek friend, I'm like, I'm surprised you haven't <laughs> mentioned that. It's like, it's clearly a callback to a classic, you know. I, I love when they do those little renditions and kind of give a little bit of um, a respect to those things. And I was I was thinking of you when I saw that. I just want you to know that. <laughs> <laughs> and so many of, you know, I, I know they didn't write this movie, but so many of the Marvel TV writers, um, you know, write for Star Trek now. So, you know, there's a lot of love in the, the geekdom for, for that. Um, one thing we haven't super talked about is Cassie. And Cassie seems to be a real driving force for this movie um in the trailer you know we see her i guess getting um bailed out of jail and that seems like that would be something that would affect scott very greatly given that he was in jail um to see his you know his daughter who he had all missed all this time with you know go down a path that maybe isn't so great and i'm curious to see what you think is going on there I do have a good thought on that one, actually. I'm glad you asked that because remember back to the first movie, she would say like, oh, I want to be your partner. And she looks up to her dad and she knows what her dad did. She's not mm -hmm. like, I mean, even though she's a little kid, she's not stupid. I mean, she's quite, she, she picks up a lot. My best guess is that she tried to do the right thing a la Scott Lang in the Ant-Man mm -hmm. and got herself in trouble. And I think because of that, once they get through into the quantum realm and then Kang is offering Scott the opportunity to kind of undo things. Scott feels motivated by that because as proud as he may be of his daughter, he doesn't want to see her start to go down that line. I mean, at that age, I'm sure she's probably trying to get into college and things and mm -hmm. an arrest can kind of really put a damper on those plans. If they notice like, Hey, you know, as a juvenile, you were doing these sort of things. Um, the only thing I'm, I'm curious about is, she wears a suit in some scenes, mm -hmm. but not before they go into the quantum realm. There's like that scene where they're standing around a little beacon that she mm -hmm. created, which, which is awesome. She's, she's intelligent <laughs> like her dad as well, it seems. But then later on in the scene, there's like that, you know, kind of zoom out where it shows her wasp and Ant-Man all suited up together up against. So I'm wondering what that's about, uh, Clearly, Cassie is the driving force behind it all. I mean, he kind of only started doing what he did because he was trying to get the money for child support so he could spend time with his daughter to begin with. Yeah. So, I definitely agree that I had the same thought of when she's getting sucked into the quantum realm. It's like she doesn't have a suit on her. How is she going to get the suit in the quantum realm that we see later? Um, and I think part of that's going to come from Bill Murray and janet and whatever is going on with the two of them because i think they're going to find him being an ally and there's going to be an extra suit or unless they have happened to have packed a spare one for some reason i don't know but um i think it's a very good question mark about that maybe will be a plot hole but we'll have to see i wouldn't put put it past kang to offer her that too sure. using that a way to butter up scott to be like hey i want you to go do this 
task, whatever, to get me out of the quantum realm and saying, here, I'll even outfit your daughter so she can help you and you can move forward. For all we know, they got sucked in at different seconds, uh, like there with the quantum realm. I, I've got a good feeling they're all not going to land just right next to each other. I mean, let's think back to Wizard of Oz, like mm -hmm. the house landed over here and Dorothy over there, like it's going to have some sort of similarity, I, I can imagine. They're going to have to find each other and, you know, they're going to have to go through some stuff to find each other. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, I think that'll be, maybe that'll be how they encounter, how God encounters Kang initially. Um, I don't know. So we're, we're getting pretty close to an hour. Um, is there anything, and we've had such a great discussion, is there anything you guys want to talk about, about the upcoming movie, you know, before we go see it? The next time we chat, we'll have seen it in theaters. Anything you want to get off your, off your chest? You know, I definitely think that while it's always fun talking to you, I'm excited to see what happens in the next one because we will be having a special guest. Um, Alex Perez is going to be joining us for the quantum mania review slash look forward of what comes next. And we all know that Mr. Perez has the, has the good information and has the good theories. I mean, we have good theories too. That's, that's not to say that we're not good, but I think it's be really cool to see what the three of you come up with on that next episode. He knows things. Um, it's going to be very, very exciting chatting with him. And all I have to say is that if you haven't checked out his Twitter, there's already some hints about what's going to happen in this film and you're missing out. So follow, <laughs> so follow him on Twitter, people. Alex from CC. It's definitely going to elevate um, the things that Cassie has done and will do in the future. I'll say that. Um, the only one 100%. thing I want to passively quickly speak about is, is I'm just curious why you think, why y'all think that um, Scott would even take up King's offer. I know we kind of talked about it, but it's like you would think with the warnings from Janet and kind of like the wishy-washiness of it, why would he take it up? I think it all boils down to him being a father and mm -hmm. you, you would sacrifice mostly anything for your kids. I mean, I don't have kids, but I have a dog and I would absolutely do anything for my fucking dog. Um, but I think that when you have a child or something you care about, you're willing to make some really stupid decisions. Mm -hmm. And for him, there's not a lot of consequences. Like he doesn't think there's consequences. He thinks that it's all going to work out. But what I think would be interesting is that if we get a glimpse of it, or we like maybe like a, like a like an image of what's going to happen, it's going to be reminiscent of what happened in WandaVision, where it's all going to appear fake, you know, because this is it's not his kid, it's not his life. I think that's what's going to snap him out. But I think you do anything for your kid. And I think that's what it's going to boil down to. Yeah. Mine is um, pretty simple. Everything Scott has ever done is he's always been a risk taker in the first Ant-Man movie, in the second Ant-Man mm -hmm. movie, in Civil War, and in Avengers. He is always saying, he's always the one to take the risk because he knows that the payoff might be greater than the punishment. Uh, that's that's a good line. That's, that's good. Um, you know, similar to Brian, I do think, you know, I think it's going to be motivated by Cassie. I think he takes the risks because, because of her, um, you know, she just kind of drives his, his existence at this point in life. So, you know, I think it'll all be connected to her. Absolutely. All right. And so when are you guys going to watch the movie? I'm going on the 16th. Same here. Three o'clock. 
I'm going on Friday. I don't know what date that is. That'd be the seventeenth. Yeah, I'm 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 going on the seventeenth then. So I'm I will be behind you guys, and I'll be trying to avoid spoilers, like with the Spider-Man movie. You can um, do it. I believe in you. <laughs> How could you avoid spoilers for that movie? Is beyond me. <laughs> yeah. <Ugh. laughs> well. Thank you both for being here. Uh, where can where can anybody find you? What's your you know your social media handles? I'm Brian Kitson, and you can find me at uh, at Kitson three hundred one on Twitter. I'm Anthony Flagg. You can find me at at Rodova underscore. And I'm uh, Isla Ruby, and you can find me at Tulin T U L I N writes. And you can find all of us here for the Cosmic Circle at our very own new. Uh, new twitter handle we have cosmic podcasts because you know we're going to keep doing this so lizzie wanted me to make a special announcement that we have our own twitter handle and that we're you know going to keep doing it so i'm excited and don't forget to visit the cosmiccircus.com yes exactly uh the cosmiccircus.com and this has been fun so bye-bye Ant man his theaters on february 17th catch it and then come back and <laughs> listen to our follow-up podcast exactly <laughs>